Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 447, Higher Ranked Sequels of Older Games, according to BGG. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, friends, we are back and we are talking about higher ranked sequels of classic favorite games on the BGG Top 100 list. These are the Nepo babies, so to speak, <laughs> of the of the uh, parents out there. You know, the games that you have and they're always on a corner and then someone comes and replaces it because, like, it's better, maybe, possibly. I love that analogy. That's that's awesome. It wasn't on our spreadsheet, but I was like, yep, that works. Yeah. <laughs> People, they're like, oh, I like the old game. I'll get the new game. This is brilliant because I paid a lot of money for it. I that's love right. it now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I, and when I was putting, Anthony and I were putting this list together, I was like, you have your, you have your parent games and then you have your sequel games, so to speak, that are the same but slightly different. But because of the original classic parent game, you just assume it's going to be better because it's shinier version yeah. of the older one. So yeah, that's how it works, right? <laughs> <laughs> and actually, this also reminded me, in fact, because one of the big pieces of news, Anthony, I, I know that you were doing fancy, fancy academic stuff. Oh, yeah, so fancy. It was very fancy. And we'll talk about it in a minute. But what's more important than that and the academic world of board gaming is Mr. Beast, my friend. Mr. Beast. How could we forget Mr. Beast? I don't know. He's everywhere. He does everything. Yeah. No, he said he was going to be here, but then he also said, who are you? So, <laughs> But he does listen. He's a big fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huge fan. Huge fan. I mean, he's a huge fan of board games. Can't argue with that. No, he's, a, he's legitimately a huge fan of board games. And in fact, he's a big Dune Imperium fan. So... He plays it with his friends all the time. This is real real news, real story. And he wanted to play some of the best players in the world. So he reached out to uh, Direwolf and said, hey, what can we do to pull this together? Because that's what Mr. Beast does. If, you have, if you've never seen his videos or anything else, again, I'm not going to go into all that. But you should have. He's everywhere. He does these kind of big events. So... Direwolf, Mr. Beast, and I guess some other people in the in the board gaming community pulled together, I think I think it was like the last couple of winners of like the world board gaming such and such for Dune, put them in a room together with Mr. Beast, his people, and some other people, a Dice Tower person and such, and they had a big board game competition on Dune Imperium, but the new version, the Uprising. So they got to play the new version. So some differences in the game, and we could talk about that at another point once it kind of hits hits the stores. But they got to play the new version. They got to win a giant sandworm that came along with it. And Mr. Beast won. Shocker. He's he's Mr. Beast. He's like, <laughs> guys, the guy's got some skills. And he won like $10,000. I'm sure it was his own money that he won back, but other people won a lot of money. It looked like a tremendous amount of fun. You could find it on YouTube if you want to watch the video and see about a little bit about the competition. There's no interview with him directly, but it seems like a good time was had by all. And again, this is interesting because this is just a newer version 
of the classic Dune Imperium. And I, I don't even know if I should say classic, Anthony. How how, how long is classic? When does it I, become classic? I know it's been three years. It's, it's Classic's <laughs> a bit of a stretch, but it's the longest three years in the history of humanity. That's so true. Maybe it's a more like 40 years. So that would be a classic. Yeah. And again, maybe maybe it becomes a classic when the new version comes out, right? Like is that is that possible? Like that is true. That does happen, right? We get like Agricola was a great game and the Caverna came out and you're like, "Oh, well Agricola the classic." You know, the, <laughs> Just, the classic Agricola, which at that point was only like 5 years old. Yeah. So. And, and and again, it does it still like when you have the new version of the game, whether it's a reprint plus a spiritual successor or a new version of the older game. Some of those games actually do better than the originals and they have ranked up on board game geek. And we're going to take a look at those Nepo baby board games (laughs) that have ranked up, crushed their parents are on the top of the charts. And you know, where, where the, where the original game is left behind on the rankings. And again, I guess we have to do this because of the hotness, right? Everyone needs a new version of the old game because hotness. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. We could, you could just say like, uh, I made underwater cities 2.0. Yes. I'm calling it something different because of IP, but whatever. <laughs> buy it. People would buy that. Yeah. I was talking to someone at a game night and I, I might've said the story before, not too long ago. And they had said to me that they, they love Dune. They own everything, but they're buying the new version. I was like, why would you buy the new version? And they said because it won't see table time unless it's the new version. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, well, that kind of breaks my heart. Yep. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> I just like, but, 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 but why? So, yeah. So, I don't know. Well, the new version, again, new spaces, new character cards, new resources, a whole bunch of new stuff to play along with. And that's pretty awesome. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm definitely picking that up. I don't own the original Dune. I've played it with a, so many people, I don't need to own it. But I like the game a lot. So, uh, Dune Imperium Uprising, an unofficial <laughs> endorsement slash acquisition disorder because there's new components for one to two players, which is awesome. And there's new rules and you can play as teams and there's new cards and spice must flow, my friend. It's just, it must flow. Yes, yes. Flow, spice, flow. And you know what? The day we're recording this, or the weekend we're recording this, is when Dune Part 2 should be out. And it's not. But Aww. it's coming soon. Well, it's not for a bad reason. It's because of writer and actor strikes, which is yes. a good thing. Like, we want those people to get paid. They do. Um, but Dune's coming. More Dune is coming. That's what I'm yeah. going to say. It'll be interesting once this new version comes out, and then the new movie comes out, how high will this version go? You know, the funny thing is, this happened last time, too. When when the first Dune Imperium came out, it was supposed to come out the same month as the movie, and they yes. delayed the movie by a year because of COVID. Oh. And then they did the same thing with the sequel, Dune Part 2. It was supposed to come out around the same time as the game, and they've now delayed the movie by six months, and the game is still coming out. So, I, obviously, it hasn't hurt Direwolf, because it's one of the top 20 games of all time now on Board Game Geek, and Mr. <laughs> Beast loves it, but just imagine the synergy that could have been. Yeah, it's funny. But uh, yeah, no, we're, li- we're really looking forward to it. And we'll talk more about it when it comes out. 
All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on out in the world of board gaming. Do you want to mention briefly about what's going on in the academic world of board gaming? <laughs> I don't know. I you were gone. Question. You're back. Are you, you did a thing. Are you going to do it? I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I was at the Serious Play Conference uh, with Will. We were both up in Toronto uh, for the 2023 conference. Um, both of us presented at this conference. Um, it was amazing. I presented on how I've used board games in the writing classroom and specifically how I use them to facilitate reflective writing, um, which is one of the big challenges in like a first year writing classroom. It's getting the students comfortable with and practiced in reflective writing, which is kind of the goal of that sequence of courses. Um, and Will presented on like how to develop an RPG system for use uh, in, in kind of the the, the therapy and, and the clinical setting. Um, and it was fantastic. We both had a lot of fun. We met a bunch of amazing people at, at the conference. Um, didn't really know what to expect kind of going into it's it was a multi multi track conference where they had like employee development and healthcare and game design and higher education and K to 12 and tutorials. They also had some like grad students presenting their research. Um, but the the mix of all of that really worked well. Like we met a bunch of amazing people. I met people who were making games uh, like to I met uh, and I, I wish I had his name in front of me, but I met an amazing guy who was making a game that was designed to help people understand how misinformation works. Oh, so they had built this game and they were working with like federal agencies to try to oh, present geez. this idea to to teach people how people are misinformed and led in the wrong direction using like this game about Vikings it was such a cool idea. Um, so that was the kind of stuff you were seeing there. It's just like just really creative uses of games and systems. Uh, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, you know, it's not, a, it was definitely not a board game conference by any means. It was like 80% digital and then 120% academic. But uh, for those people using games in the classroom and, and kind of discussing those things like, like I do and like we do here, uh, board game academics, um, it was a lot of fun. So it was our 18th year doing it. So I would say if any of that's interesting to you, check it out next year because um, they'll be doing it again next year. I don't believe our presentations will, will be available online. I think you have to pay for access to those recordings. But, you know, we've done other recordings. You can see some of the recordings that we've done in the past from Long Island Tabletop and um, from the, the game-based learning conference. Those are also online. Um and kind of have some of the same ideas mixed in there. So it was a good time. Excellent. No, it's great. It's great to see that it's getting out there internationally, obviously, and that so many people take it seriously, no pun intended, and yeah, that, right. <laughs> that there's a lot of great applications for tabletop games, video games, and stuff out there in the world. So uh, play. Play is informative, educational, and communicative yep. in a way that a lot of other stuff isn't. So... It was really cool to be surrounded with like several hundred people who also believe that way. Excellent. Because, yeah. you know, you and I do this. Will joins us. Jen's, Jen has joined us. But, you know, when I go into the colleges that I work at and I have these conversations, people are interested, but they don't necessarily understand or they haven't seen it work. Mm -hmm. It's curiosity, not like, let's discuss it. So being able to step into that and have a conversation about like, this is what I've done. What have you done? Oh, that's really creative. Well, this is how I would do that. Oh, that's really creative too. Like that is a very different conversation, you know, the collaboration versus kind of the education. Um, so it's, if you're at all interested in this space and how games can be used outside of just let's have fun, 
it's it was a fantastic experience. Wonderful. So they might see that presentation somewhere else. We might do it somewhere else in the future. So yep, for sure. excellent. Uh, I guess I'll mention briefly two things. One, we will be at PAX Unplugged. We should mention that because I don't know how or why, but the months keep going. And I know. winter's coming. <laughs> so uh, myself, Anthony, Will, Jen, uh, several other people from the crew will be there. So if you're there, let's talk because it's always fun to get games together at the table. Uh, our friends from Better for Board Games will be there. As you know, we're running our board game charity event on November 4th in Fanwood, New Jersey. You could check out our page on BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Take a look at the events. Look for Charity 2023. All the details are there. Supporting getting more young girls, women into board gaming, inviting them to the table, providing a space that's welcoming, warm, and supportive. Uh, thank you all for your support in advance. It's just, it's what we need to do. We want to expand the table and bring new people to board gaming. And this event should do a lot for that. So we'll have more details, especially with all of our different sponsors. If you're a board game company out there, a publisher, we would love to hear from you. If you have any support that you want to throw our way so that we can raise money for Troop 6000, which is a Girl Scout troop in New York City that's made up of girls from all these different shelter systems. Wonderful. If you happen to be in New Jersey or in the surrounding area, please join us. Come down, enjoy the games, or buy, sell, or trade your board games. A lot of opportunities for a lot of great stuff. And again, it'd be great to see you. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that's going on with us. We're going to be talking about Patreon. We have some Patreon episodes coming up, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a little overdue. You should be seeing my next episode on my top 100 rundown i think it's 70 through 61 should be up here in the next couple of days after you listen to this and then chris you have your next episode of kicking the habit also coming up in the following week we're kicking it man there's a lot of stuff out there and we'll be talking about typically about dozen baker's dozen of the greatest games out there that you might want to take a look at to back but anthony that's enough about us what's going on with our listeners this week what's our question of the week Question of the week this week is, what's your favorite board game production? Not necessarily best artwork or miniatures, although that might be the answer, uh, but the best overall production of a game from flavor text in the rulebook to table presence or even box design. So overall, everything production, because we've kind of reached that point in the hobby where there's a tension that goes into everything. Uh, so over on the Patreon, we had several answers. We had Drew say New York Slice. This inexpensive game maximizes production. Upon smoothly opening it like a pizza, the table is engaged. Chunky chalkboard specials, guest check score pad, and pizza slices you're tempted to eat. This game is a cut above the rest. Very nice, Drew. Nice. Uh, Ryan says the new Castles of Burgundy Special Edition has absolutely fantastic production. Bright colors, clear images, a great insert that overlay to hold the tiles for the insertable maps. It is amazing. Uh, and this is how you take an old game and make it fresh. Uh, Ryan also mentions Endless Winter, which I know you just recently talked about. Um, wonderful production as well. Besides the beautiful and attractive art, it has a truly functional insert that holds sleeved cards. Very nice. Yes. So uh, over on the Facebook page, uh, several people responded as well. We have 11 comments here if you want to check them all out. But some of the, the games people call out are Return to Dark Tower. Great art, great tower, excellent app integration, great minis. If you like the app stuff, great one. Um, Mind Clash games in general, got a couple of mentions. So Voidfall, Anachrony, Tracarion. I would, 
I so I do agree, but I do have some issues also with almost all of their productions in some way. So <laughs> just they always make like at least one weird decision. I don't know why, but uh, generally very good, and especially for the price. Like they're not stupid expensive. Um, uh, Eric mentions Lewis and Clark, which is an old school game. It's a ten year old game now. Um, in many ways, is one of the best produced games I've had a chance to lay hands on. Uh, the original had great quality cards, nice wooden pieces and stickers, gorgeous art, and I feel the publisher really attempted to weave in the history. And I agree, actually, for when that game came out, the production on it was really, really solid. Those games so. back then, they could skew either direction. Um, let's see, other ones we had at PAX Premier 2nd Edition just looks amazing. Everything is stylish for the culture and period. That's how the game should look and feel. Uh, I agree. This one is beautiful and amazing. And even more so if you play the original, which is the opposite of beautiful and amazing. So <laughs> big upgrade. Uh, Timothy mentioned Space Hulk, Talisman, Descent, Journeys in the Dark, Super Dungeon Explorer. That's an old school one. Uh, Roman mentioned Space Alerts Rulebook. And any Vlada Shavatol rulebook, I think, is generally considered a, a peak gaming moment reading sure. those rule books. Uh, and this one's for you, Chris. Vigard mentions Lisboa. Ooh. Whole, whole package. The box yes. cover, the board art, the thematic explanation, and the rules. Everything about this game is just so gorgeous. It is also a rare 10 out of 10 game for me, which helps too. So I could go with that. Honestly, Vitalis Erda's ability to work the rules in a way that is thematic and engaging and easy to learn. Even if it's 30 pages, it doesn't feel like 30 pages. Sure. That alone gets gets bonus points for me. Yeah, I think his games alone, and like you mentioned, the rule book, not just the rule book, but of course the rule book, but the thematic gameplay. It just, as you're playing the game, you don't have to constantly go back and going, why this mechanic? It just, it kind of flows. And I think if he couldn't do that as well as he did, all of his games would have been like, pushed off to the side it would be like a gmt collection of games yeah like you you don't belong in the mainstream and they are it's on the, it's they're in the top 100 it's crazy they yeah. shouldn't be there but he does it so well like there's an equality to his games and it's his rule books yeah it's incredible like what what he's able to do um it's it's just fun too like where we're at with board games now like even games that aren't on kickstarter like i recently was running through a game called votes for women um, yes. which I'll talk about in the podcast soon. But the production on this, and it seems like on the back, you're like, oh, it's like a GMT style, like cubes on a map, card based card, you know, game. Um, but then you open the box and it has like reproductions of newspapers and clippings and photos and certificates and voting stuff. Like there's a bunch of historical documents packed into this box that kind of go with the experience of learning about suffrage and how women, you know, fought for the right to vote. Uh, and it really, really adds the experience, even though those things have nothing to do with the gameplay, like you, people look at them as they play. And I think we get increasingly games that will do that because people will pay for it. People yeah. enjoy that stuff. And the biggest barrier for any board game is how do I play this? Yeah. And if somehow it's thematic and it's explained well or taught well, it makes all the difference in the world. Because I, 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 as a kid, just wanting to play board these board so many board games and just like hitting the rule book and hitting a wall and that's it they're, they're done so strange but true all right well that's what's happening with everyone out there anthony 
Let's talk about the games we want to hit the table this week. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. Alrighty, so mine will be pretty quick because there's not a lot of information about there yet. Um, but this is a, a game called World Order. Um, and at first glance, it doesn't look like much. It's a modern political system in the area control game. Meh. But it's by designers <laughs> of Hegemony. So it's the new game from Hegemonic Project Games, um, which is designers Vangelis Bagiotarkis and Varnavis Timothew. Um, and uh, Bagiotarkis worked on a lot of games over the last few years. We got Among the Stars and Fields of Green, Dice City, and of course, Hegemony, which is one of the hottest games of the last year, if you can find a copy. Um, so this one is, your t- it takes place in the year 2010, and it's very specifically situated on the political situation of the 2010s. So like the, U- the USA, the rise of China, the vilification of Russia, the tribulation trials and tribulations of the economic systems in Europe, all of this kind of post- you know, economic crisis, globally speaking. Um, And I don't know a lot more about it at this point, but I know that Hegemony was a very well-researched and very well-developed game. Yes. It's fun to play, but also educational, interesting, and highly asymmetrical. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you take that and you put it into this, which is more specific because we're talking about actual world governments, but then also based in a certain era of time. Um, And, you know, like they present it like they're entirely different games, but they have a similar vision, right? Helping people get a deeper understanding of the world. Um, And they believe that the best way to do that is through games, which I agree. (laughs) (laughs) My class that I teach is called what board games tell us about the world. So I love games that do this. I wish I could teach this game in my class or any games like this in my class, but they're way too long. Um, but the fact that they exist is amazing and uh, that we get to have conversations about them is fantastic. So don't know a whole lot more about it. They just posted their like, here's what this game is post on Board Game Geek three days ago. Uh, but I am excited to learn more and see kind of how it develops and what they're going to do with it. They say it's lighter than hegemony. And it doesn't have as much asymmetry as hegemony. So maybe they are making a game that's easier to learn, a little more accessible, which would be fantastic because that's it makes it easier to teach with and to bring into schools and to share with people and kind of explore these systems. Sure. Um, but I don't I don't know that I could say much more about it at this point because they haven't released much more about it at this point. So <laughs> uh, World Order, which is listed as a 2024 game. So hopefully it hits Kickstarter or whatever they're doing with it soon. And then uh, we Hopefully in a year from now, we're talking about it. Excellent. Well, I want to talk about a game that you and I love, Anthony. And I have memories of this because in particular, discovered this game at PAX Unplugged and loved the play so much that I kept leaving other games to teach people how to play this game. And I remember that because you kept yelling at me to get back (laughs) and play the game. Uh, We're taking too long. It's true. Uh, 100% right. Obsession. Now, we've talked about Obsession before. Um, It's about renovating an estate, managing servants, and pursuing romance in Victorian England. Well, they had a first edition. Awesome. They had a second edition with some changes and upgrades and some corrections and streamlines, along with an expansion. 
And now they have a new expansion, Obsession. It's a character's expansion with metal coins. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know if you asked for it. I didn't necessarily ask for it, but it's on nope. Kickstarter. And what I really like about, uh, I guess, KG Games, <laughs> uh, I, I should probably just say Dan Halligan because he's yeah. a one-man machine. This is not another company. This is his game, his company, his work. He does all the video stuff. I mean, like, it feels it feels like other people, like, other companies are, like, you know, hands in the dirt. This guy's hands in the dirt. Like, he is, like, grinding to teach you everything, help you with everything. Like, he's just, he's on the ball. I mean, I just, I appreciate that. So, when he does his Kickstarters, what's great about them is he really tries to make them for the fans of the game. He's not trying to make some big profit. He's not trying to hit you with stuff that you don't need necessarily. He's trying to make something that works for you and at a price that sincerely does work. With the production, that's typically more than what you're paying for. So let's talk about the obvious thing. There's coins. Um, He's all about making these coins as inexpensive as possible and as heavy and thick, kind of like uh, poker tokens. If that's a thing that you want to do to enhance your game of obsession, awesome. You now have that. Uh, Money does play a big part in the game, so you will be using the money throughout. Most people are going to be interested in the characters expansion. So a bunch of different characters come into play here and what they're and a sideboard, which you can utilize the different characters in order to do different things. Primarily three different characters and a a secondary section where you could do some additional actions. And what it's meant to do is kind of up the stakes of the game. So in the game of Obsession, you are trying to get prestige, and you're trying to get these royal people to come to your events. And some of the people are not so nice, so they make things harder. Well, this expansion adds a lot more stuff to make it more dynamic, a lot more rowdy people coming to your events a lot more opportunity to get some really amazing people to your events and some new people that will help you manage these different situations. Again, a lot of fun, more characters, more people to visit. Awesome. So, you know, if you have some snooty Americans that are at your fancy, fancy British Victorian party, you can call the constable to take care of those people and get them out of your, you know, your deck building part. Nice. I know, right? Uh, again, it's a lot more fun for that kind of particular area. Um, you can consult with the reverend because sometimes you get objective cards that you cannot use and it's not working for you. You could swap those different objectives out. Again, he's listening to the people who play the game. He wants to make the game better. Some revisions here, um, some additions here to make the game better, some cards, some, it just makes the game better. If you love obsession, this is an automatic buy. And I'll say one of the reasons why too, you may or may not want the coins. I get that. But he's making the games 33% cheaper than what he'll put them on for MSRP. So typically, if you're lucky, a game goes out to the retail market and it's typically 30% off. So he's at least matching that. I can't tell you how many times you look on a Kickstarter. They're like, it's $5 cheaper. You're like, great. I can get it for like $20 cheaper and like, a year. 
But this right. one, he's sincerely trying to make it as inexpensive as possible so people who do love his game can actually play the game. There's additional modules that you can play. There's additional uh, tiles. There's additional cards. There's more. If you have not played, if you've not played Obsession before, you should. Even if you're not into the theme, I was not into the theme. I love the game. If you're into the theme, this game plays really well. It's a lot of fun. The The Kickstarter page has a lot of information, a lot of th- things you could back. Check it out. It's the new expansion for Obsession. It's it's new characters. I love it. I love more content for Obsession. Uh, this is not a game I've actually gotten a chance to play very much lately. I, I should get it to the table more because I do love it. It's awesome. All right, everybody. So that's what we want to hit our table this week. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table. And we'll let people know if those games are a buy. And they should run out and pick those games up because they're obsessed with them. See? Pun intended here. Uh, or if they wanted to sit down and play the games because it's a fun time regardless. Maybe it's more for them. If the games are a dodge and they just you should just kind of avoid it. Or if the games are the dreaded burn because, let's be honest, it's not great. Hopefully it gets a Nepo baby game in the future and it becomes better. So, Anthony, I got to play two games this week. One brand new. You mentioned this when we talked about our Essen release. That board game arena had Forest Shuffle. And I was really excited because I love myself a Tableau Builder. And, you know, a good nature theme is a lot of fun. So, I played the heck out of this. And I got a review for you, my friend. Because, first off, great artwork. It's got trees do you like trees because this has trees it's got trees i love love trees is it mean though because all the games with trees are mean and i don't like the mean (laughs) tree games it's true i don't know why those earlier games are so mean when we now have realized that like they're not mean they share resources and they're cool they're Uh, trees yeah so this game is all about life in a forest animals trees Fungi are happening out there. Flora and fauna, just having a good time out there. And it's a card game. No real board here. There's a market board, so, you know, so to speak, where you put the cards out that you'll you'll be able to choose. And then if you hit ten cards, it kind of clears out, which is awesome. But basically, on your turn, you are going to do pretty much one thing. You're either going to take two cards. You can choose from the market or from the draw pile, or you're going to put a card out. And by putting a card out you're going to pay for the cost of that particular card. You have to start with the trees because the trees are the homes for all the animals. Shocker, right? Uh, And there's also winter cards because winter's coming. There's three winter cards in this massive deck and they're sectioned out. So you'll you'll have enough time to get to see all the cards, more or less, to get that last uh, winter card. Once you pay for the trees and you put them out, you'll be able to put insects animals and other plants on the left right top and bottom now every card every card does a thing so they all have special abilities they all score you victory points uh acorns are victory points in this game so and they all have different iconography because things kind of uh bounce off or benefit from certain icons so you get your cards you get ready to play you start throwing some trees out there. Trees have their own set collection or whatever kind of mechanic, so to speak. And then you start putting um, these different animals and plants and insects onto the tree. And how you place them, if it's on, you know, on the same tree or in the fo- in that particular forest, 
it's going to score you additional victory points. It's going to draw you additional cards. Um, there's no fighting amongst the forests other than you are chasing after certain cards that other people might want for their own particular set collection. So, What kind of forest game is that? I know. It's a very nice, friendly forest game. Um, and it's somewhat thematic. So certain animals benefit off others. So predators will benefit off prey and only certain kind of prey. And as you're putting the cards out, you're building up your forest, you're scoring points, you're scoring points, almost an endless number of scoring points. Uh, there's bats, there's little squirrels, there's everything. And again, the artwork is very good. So um, the game goes on. You keep putting creatures, sliding those cards in, paying their costs so they go out to the market so other people can pick them up. And I gotta say, it's a fine game. I like it. I like the tableau building. I love the art design. I love the idea that like animals are going to go in the sides because they're going to live off live on the branches. Birds and butterflies go on the top. Fungi and other creatures will go on the bottom. Makes a lot of sense. Here's the thing. It overstays its welcome. Ah, boo. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't understand why. There's 180 cards in this deck. And the game really the game's really kind of a race because you need to build up certain set collections of creatures and animals and plants and things together in order to score points. I love that idea that certain things thematically need to follow other things. But it, at really at no time, other than waiting for a particular card to come out, are you really doing much of anything but scoring two points, five points, three points, two points? So almost every turn, other than drawing the cards, every time you put cards out, you're scoring points. It goes on way too long. I'm, I was like, I'm having fun. I'm having fun. I'm having fun. And then at some point, I'm like, can this be done? Can this be done? Can this be done? I'm waiting for the winter cards. And you score like, 120 150 points in the game and typically Jeez. a card will score you like more or less like three to five points sometimes 10 15 if you get a good combination together but it just it just took so long and i go in and play it and i'm like i'm enjoying this and i don't want to play anymore and i'm like oh it's still up there i'll go play it i'm not enjoying it i'm like and i love i love everything about it the thematic appeal the, every part of it and i just honestly I get tired because again, your opponents are just scoring points just like you are. Yeah. So it's like I scored 10 points, they score five. I score 15, they scored, they score another five. I score five, they scored five. They didn't take cards this round. I scored another set. Like it doesn't it, it the scoring of points, like we talk about point salad games, but there's nothing I can really do other than hate draft to stop them. And at the same time, I'm just constantly scoring points to the point where it's not fun to score points anymore. I'm not mm. building towards anything. Almost every two or three turns, I'm just scoring points. You know, a game like that, especially with cards, it needs to be quick. Like like a point salad, point city type of quick where it takes 20 minutes. Like yeah. if everybody's going to get points for everything they do, it needs to be a race, a quick race. Yeah. It can't be like a long drawn out thing. Well, according to the according to the game itself, it playing time is sixty minutes, Anthony. Mm. That's what I'm saying. Way too long. Way too long. And if you add the AP that does come along with this game reasonably, because you're like, should I hold? Because some of the cards, especially the animal cards in particular, 
and also the birds slash uh, butterfly cards and also like the animals below. Like the top down and the left right cards are split down the middle. So they have choices. Like if I tuck one card in from the left, I lose the ability or the animal to the right. So, and a lot of it's like, I have this deer. If I can get the wolf out there, I'll score a lot of points. But how long do I hold in my hand? I don't know. It's a good game. I give it a play. I certainly sincerely hope that it it works better for all of you because I love everything about the game other than the game the game length. And just like after a while I'm just like I, I get tired. I don't know. Yeah. I'm that's really unfortunate. It's really it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because this was like I said this is one of my most anticipated games from Essen and I was so excited when I saw it on Board Game Arena and I was just like it's a game. And I was just like do I want this? Like I guess maybe I don't know. I'll play it, but I don't. I don't know. An hour? Yeah. It shouldn't be an hour game. It should be at tops, like you said, twenty minutes, twenty five minutes. That's about it. Yeah. It, that's what it looked like. I didn't realize it was that long. Like an I'm hour, gonna play man. a game like that. I'm gonna play Living Forest or something. Like, exactly. That that's the right length. That's the right complexity. All right. So, Crown of Amara. This is a really interesting game, and I've had this on the shelf forever, and I was so thrilled to actually get to the table because this looks like the throwback to like the Euros of old, right? You're getting resources, you're trading resources into other fancier things in order to score points, right? You've heard the stories before, but this had a really nice production to it, and what I liked about the game, as far as the experience is concerned, is it had a very tight, regimented system. It wasn't, again, I just talked about how you have these point salad games where you're just scoring points and eventually you just get sick of scoring points. This was quite the opposite. Basically, there are two halves of this game. And at the start of the game, you're given nine cards. You shuffle the cards, you take three. The cards themselves have an action on them that you'll be able to take or it has a resource on it that you will you will be able to get you decide you program basically on your turn where you're going to slot the card where you slot the card is where the movement of your main worker is going to move on one of two separate boards one board is the countryside. It has a lot of resources and it's all kinds of fun. The other board is basically the town, right? It has the church. It has the castle. It has all the works that are happening, like the workmanship, and it has the market. So you get to do that on your turn. On your turn, you play a card. It Depending on the one, two, or three slot, that's how many you're going to move around in a circle. Clockwise, pretty straightforward. And you need to do this because, you know, the king is trying to see who's going to be his successor. So you have to be the most competent Euro player out there, uh, gaining favor, gaining victory points to be the future king of Amara or queen. Also very good. So. Seems pretty simple. Eventually, you play your three cards. Next next time you, go, you get your cards, you get another three cards. You play your three cards. You get another set of cards, you play your cards. And again, 
their resources and then special actions like go to get to utilize a certain spot or get an exchange rate and such. Beyond that, there's also an opportunity to do a special action. You can place one of your workers in one of the particular fields in order to benefit you when you land on that spot later. It'll give you an additional resource or be able to activate that particular section of the board. So it's a Euro game, right? So what do you do in Euro games? You bake bread. So maybe you need to take your wheat and bake bread or such. Now, that happens, and then the city actions let you do a lot of kind of fun stuff. That's really where the production of all those basic resources kind of take place. There are cards, there are special craftsmen and such, special people out there, and they require resources in order to come to your side, supposedly, and they offer you a lot of, to- a lot of opportunities to gain people or move your house track up because the king is very benevolent and the king wants to see that his people have houses. So it has one of these really interesting mechanics. I've seen it in in one or two games where you have two of your own victory point tracks and you take the lesser of the two tracks. So you're racing both tracks, you're racing houses and people. And ideally, they match up, or again, one's ideally (laughs) going to go far enough that the low one is not too low. Gotcha. Game comes to the halfway point because you've played nine cards. Hopefully, you've gained a lot of resources. Hopefully, you've visited a lot of places in like the city town square. Um, the, The city town square is a lot of fun because the church will allow you to trade resources in in order to gain uh, scholarship books and also be able to um, gain special abilities when you go to certain spots on the board. The castle allows you to get signet rings, which are important because signet rings and then later more and more gold allows you to raise up your rank. So you go to a duke and you become a prince and all that other kind of fun stuff. So that's pretty cool. It gets you a card and you slot the card on your board And on the top of your little mini kind of playboard, you have your either male presenting or female presenting character, and you get to slot on top of that, on top of them, or actually under them, but on top of them will be the crown for whatever particular level of class that they happen to be. The market's going to be able to allow you to trade in books, so you can gain a a lot of people victory points, or allows you to trade, you know, resources for more money, and money is, is a variable you know, it's a wild kind of resources in the game. And then obviously going to the castle allows you, as I mentioned, resources become things because signet rings are a thing. But it also every particular board on that city area allows a lot of different types of like, you know, certain number of books get you a certain number of houses or a certain number of bread gets you a certain number of people. So there's a lot of variety of actions in each of the different town, city, castle kind of centers. You get to the halfway point, and you do it again. Now, game comes to an end, and it's victory points. There's some minor scoring points for, like, resources turned into a thing. But that's pretty much it as far as the gameplay is concerned. Slotting those cards in to take those actions, and then move your people to get resources, and then take those resources, move your people in order to 
gain more victory points, whether it's people or houses. That's primarily the game. It has a certain restriction and tension because you only have those nine cards and you only get to play three a turn and you don't get to pick them, the three that you get. You do get to pick which ones you play in what order. It's kind of random. You know that you will play all nine cards in that first half and nine cards in the second half. So you know that you will get all those additional actions. But it's so restrictive that sometimes the actions, you can't, you can't plan a strategy. Like, I will need to get these things because eventually I want to get those things. But I don't know when that's going to happen. And it might happen right away. It might happen later. So ideally, a strategy would be to spend your first half in the market and your second half in the town. But obviously, the town becomes more and more expensive. It has this little really cool kind of roof tiles. And every time you pay for resources, every time you pay resources for signet rings or resources for books and special abilities, the cost of those things goes up. I love the idea. I love the presentation. But it is very tight and very random based on those cards. And then there's a second half of that. And just like Far Shuffle, I feel like it overstays its welcome. I got through the first half and I was like, oh, that's that's a fun light, light to medium euro. I'm good with that. Oh, no, there's a second half. Okay, what do we do in the second half? The same thing. Okay, go back to getting resources, go back to trading things. So, I love the idea of trying to benefit your people, bring more people into your kingdom and benefit them with houses. The two tracks are really challenging because which victory point thing do I want to, to ramp up? I need to ramp up both of them. But at the end, the different spots in the town, the castle, cathedral, the construction site market, it's a little bit more fun because of the trading, but at the same time, you don't get to do that very much because you're spending a lot of time getting basic resources. So I'm going to give Crown of Amara a play. I thought it was fine. I thought it was a fine game. And weirdly enough, again, I think it overstays its welcome. And then it has a weird restriction as far as the cards are concerned. Now, you may like that. You may go, I just want my options narrowed down as random as they may come out. And I will build to something at some point, but maybe not because it may not be available. It's fine. Crown of Amaro is a fine play at the table. Uh, again. I just would like to be able to build more strategy throughout. But again, that's not this game. So, Cranamar, get to play. I think I gave it the exact same review. I reviewed it back on episode 229. Oh, yes, you're way ahead of me. Yeah, well, I, I somehow got an early copy of it. Essen, I can't remember how, but it happened. Um, <laughs> and it was almost exactly the same thing of like, yeah, this is good, but why is it so long? Why? Why? Yeah. Not even so long. Just it's not a very long game. It's just that whole mechanic of you do the thing and then you do it again. Everybody <laughs> played Amon Ray and they're like, let's do that. And like, you're not Amon Ray. You're yeah. just, you're not. That's a brilliant game. And you're just, you, you shouldn't do that mechanic. Um. So yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Again, it was, it was the production's very nice. You can, the boards themselves have a lot of, decorative art or you could flip them over to the simpler kind of like where you place your workers 
I like that section better, in fact. I usually don't. We played with the more complicated section. It looked nicer. But there's a lot of iconography of, you know, exchange rates that you could miss because the game just, it just doesn't have that kind of focus. Like, it has things to do, and it plays well mechanically, but it's just, it's just not as sharp as it, as I would want it to be, I, I guess. Right. Um, and, and, and again, the, the turns are very quick. You got three cards, you got three slots, you should be able to play the game like snappy. The problem is analysis paralysis comes in where you go, which of my two workers do I want to move on which board? Because if I move that one there, I've used my two card. So now I only have a one and three left. So that's going to kind of like purposely position me in certain sections I may not want to be. So maybe I won't play my two. I'll play my three. But now I only have one and two. So like, where's that going to land me the next two rounds? I'm just like, that should not be the thing that I'm concerned about. Like, that's weird. You know, there should be some right. mitigation. Yeah, for sure. All right. Those are at the table this week. Anthony, let's get on to the feature review. Our feature review this week, of course, is the higher rank sequel of older games. So, Anthony, we looked at the top 100, the BGG. The see all the the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. It knows everything. <laughs> it tells us everything. And of course, I guess I guess we could have a longer list, but the podcast would be much longer than that. Yeah, there were games that came out one point, and they were cool and awesome, but they weren't super cool or super awesome. And then somewhere down the road, someone was like, "Hey, what if we make these things super cool, and super awesome, with like upgrade pieces and." new artwork and fancy mechanics and a rule book you can actually read. Mm. And people were like, yes, yes, I will backslash buy that game. And now it's super awesome. And games that once were like, you know, collecting dust on a shelf, their new super deluxe evolution version is awesome. And now it's like the top of the heap. And again, I don't think we've ever seen this before. We've seen reprints. But I, there's, there's just so many games now that have, like, reinvented themselves and, like, spawned a new version that has just shot up the charts to, like, heights that the original game never saw at all. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'd say 70% of this list has come out in the last eight years, seven years. Um there are a handful of games that came out a while ago that were like iterations of games that came out even longer ago. But for the most part, these are relatively recent games. And this is a relatively recent trend. There's, If you go outside the top 100, there are dozens more. Yeah. Uh, like 2.0 sequels, updates sure. that just do the original game a little bit better. Yeah. Which makes sense. You're iterating on your existing formula. You have thousands of plays to look at. You have feedback from years. Um, but it, it's, I like it, but it's also like a weird thing where sometimes we get a year of releases where it's all 2.0s. <laughs> it's like, where are the new games? These are all just re-releases of old things. Uh, but I don't know it hitting a gift horse in the mouth. If like your favorite game gets a little bit better. Yeah. It's odd because then you have to decide as a consumer, do I need to buy this game again? Yeah. Because it's slightly better. Probably. Yeah. And now I own two copies of the game. There was nothing there was no problem with the first one, 
But now I have to buy the second one because it will not get game time because gamers, right? You know, the, the, the hotness is, is certainly a thing. Yeah. And there is something that is like, there's a negative, which is weird because back in the day, not too long ago, not many years ago, if you had a grail game, it meant it was old and out of print and people were excited. And now it's like, I have this grail game. It's like, cool. Do you have the new version of it? <laughs> and you're like, but, but this is the classic. This is the best. This was the original. And they're like, no, no, no. New version. New version. So just like when we talked about Dune Imperium Uprising, which again, Dune Imperium, <laughs> just like that's now a classic game that no one wants to play. Same thing here. And it doesn't mean that the original versions are bad. They're in fact typically very good. It's just, I don't know, like there's some quantum mechanics going on here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like some of these games we're going to talk about are still like the original version. It's still good and people play. Yeah. Some some of them have more or less replaced their original version and that's fine. Uh, but not all of them. Some of them are like, no, no, no. Some people still prefer the older version of the game. A lot of people still prefer the older version of the game. And that's it's your choice what to what to play with. But it's it's an interesting thing that I I almost feel like is unique to board gaming. Like you mm-hmm. have remakes in film, you have remakes in video games, but it doesn't really like replace or overhaul the original most of the time. Sure. It's pretty rare that that happens. I can only think of a handful of instances. Whereas in board games, it happens all the time. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah. All right, Anthony. Well, we got quite a list here. Why don't you start us off? All right. Uh, first up is the obvious number one. That's the number one on Board Game Geek. That's Brass Birmingham, which is the reimplementation of Brass, aka Brass Lancashire, uh, that came about in the Kickstarter that launched in 2017 for both Lancashire and Birmingham, which yes. were like, hey, we updated the old school Brass from Martin Wallace, and then we also went in and changed the rules a little bit, Gavin Brown and Matt Tolman, mm-hmm. along with Martin Wallace. And we added beer and we tweaked the balance of everything. And the game is fundamentally different in ways that make it arguably <laughs> or inarguably, because it's now number one on Board Game Geek. Yeah, pretty much. Better. Yeah. I mean, Brass Quasi Lancashire. This is like the Star Wars movies. Like, it was called Star Wars and now it's Star Wars New Hope. Right? Yeah, pretty like, much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's brass, but it's now it's brass Lancashire. Like we know what it was. We yeah. know. But yeah, I mean brass brass is at number 20. And again, I, I'm I'm sure it's only at number 20 because Brass Birmingham has gotten so much attention and it's number one. So Yeah, yeah. I don't remember what the old brass was. I feel like it was it was close bad. to top one hundred. Well but it wasn't. It wasn't, I don't think it was top 100. I think it was like close. And Lancashire replaced it, it did. in Board Game Geek's listings. So that is the original listing. Yes. People liked the game, but it was very ugly. It <laughs> that's was all very, I remember. That's what I remember. That's my, my, my memory of that as well. Is like, it was just a very poor production. And it was, it was obviously, and still is. It's a complicated game. So when you have poor production and complications and, you know, you're constantly shooting yourself in the foot by taking loans and such. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. But iron clay chips, fancy new board, beer, fancy open parts, ports that are variable. Yeah. <laughs> Surpassed and surplanted 
Period. Yeah, yeah, quite. All right, uh, next up on the list we have at number two overall versus number 133 for the original Pandemic Legacy Season 1. Now, some of you are going to say that's not a re-implementation, and it, you know what? Disagree. (laughs) I think it is. (laughs) Because Pandemic, and we've talked about this at length, Pandemic by itself, it was a game, but nobody plays Pandemic, just Pandemic. You play at least with one expansion, the In the Lab expansion, and then you probably also play all the many, many variants of the game. And so Legacy is yet another variant of the game where it takes the core mechanics and it builds on that and it creates this Legacy system. And adds these mechanics to it, many of which have been re-implemented in other like standalone versions of the game. And it, for a long time, was the number one game on Board Game Geek. Now it's number two. Uh, And there are two sequels to that Mm -hmm. that still, despite all the legacy games that tried to follow it, is the best legacy game that's ever been made. Yeah. So Pandemic Legacy Season 1. Like, if you're going to play Pandemic... There's so many better ways to play it. Um, this is the best way to play it, in my opinion. And but the, everyone's opinion, ju- technically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, the yeah. the aggregate the aggregate opinion is that it is the best. But there's just so many better ways to play it than just like base bland. Yes. Pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. I, again, it's a it's it's an evolution. It's a revolution. I mean, that pandemic legacy came out season one, and it just. Again, I remember Pandemic had a pretty lofty place for quite some time. And it was, again, it's one of those gateway games, classic games of all time. And this is just, it's not just a better game. It's just, it's altogether a radical departure of the base game of Pandemic. It it fulfills everything that the base game wanted to be. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, it does what it, it does what you imagine you were doing in that original game. Yes. All right. Uh, next up, we have Twilight Imperium fourth edition. So uh, <laughs> this is not the direct sequel. This is the fourth sequel to the original Twilight Imperium. But each of those games is an iteration and development around along the original formula. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one takes Twilight Imperium three, which came out. I believe 10 years earlier, uh, 12 years earlier, I'm sorry, than back in 2005. And it iterates on it significantly. It adds in some of the expansions that worked. It leaves out some of the stuff that doesn't work. It streamlines a lot of things. The game overall is a better experience on almost every playing level that you can think of. It's not shorter by any means, but it's just streamlined. It's Mm -hmm. easier to learn. Yes. Which is always a barrier for a game this long. Um, and yeah, it's the definitive way to play Twilight Imperium. Uh, and as a result, Twilight Imperium three dropped down to number one Oh nine. Yes. It, it was in the top 20 yes. and now four E is at five and it's at one Oh nine. So yeah. it's just a direct replacement. And again, I, I think what Twilight Imperium, I think is a perfect example about this. When we looked at this list to put it together, there's a certain point for board game designers, whether they, just stick to the core and that's it. Or in this case, Twilight Imperium, where they were like, we can make the game better by attaching expansions to it. And then at some point, the designer is like, I'm tapping out. 
we can't add any more to it. It's becoming bloat, right? There's yeah. stuff that's not working. And we've seen this with some other companies too, where they're just like, keep adding expansions or modules. And you're like, please stop. Give us an essential edition and let's start over. And like Dune Imperium, Uprising, we'll see, could be again, one of those kind of things where they could have just added an expansion to it, but they were like, it needs a full rehaul. And Twilight Imperium 4th edition, again, it's it's it saves so many people from like having to amass all those expansions and somehow, you know, house rule out some of the bad stuff. And it's just like, here it is, but better. So, and it's great because it's a very long game to play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want the best possible version of the game that's going to take you nine hours to play. Yep. All right. Uh, next up, we have War of the Rings Second Edition versus War of the Ring First Edition. This one's a little tricky because War of the Ring First Edition was a Fantasy Flight Games release in 2004. Second Edition came out in 2011 when the license switched over to Ares Games. And there weren't, it wasn't like a definitive version kind of update that you saw with the shift in uh, like Twilight Imperium. It was a lot of like aesthetic changes. So like you had a bigger rule book with additional uh, discussions. You had new sculpts and changes in like how the miniatures and the, the pieces were presented. The cards were bigger all of a sudden, like some bigger artwork, bigger presentation. Um, and there was a lot of tweaks to the rules. This has become the definitive edition of the game, however, because it is a it's the one you could still get. B, there are several expansions to it that are generally available. Um, C, there are collector's editions and anniversary editions of the game as Ares Games has held the license now for 12 years. And it's just generally considered one of the best balanced asymmetrical two-player games ever made. So it's just like it found ways to tweak and iterate and build on what came in the first edition and keep that and maintain it and build on it. And now it is number nine on Board Game Geek's list versus number 168 for the first edition. Absolutely. Well said. All right. Uh, next up, Gaia Project which is number 12 versus Terra Mystica, which is number 26. So Terra Mystica is, this is obviously not a huge gap, right? Terra Mystica is still one of the best games ever made, but with all the data around it, people have found that it's not as balanced as its two sequels. Um, Gaia Project, now the highest ranked of those sequels. Gaia Project has kind of the tech track that fixes like the, the cult track issues. And it's an asymmetrical uh, modular board setup, um, has better balance among the various races that are available. Um, Age of Innovation is out now. It's fantastic. It'll probably move up the list. I don't know if it'll get this high, but Gaia Project fixes a lot of the issues people have with Terra Mystica. Mm -hmm. And just if you like the sci-fi theme is the better game. If you do not, then Age of Innovation is the better game. <laughs> so yes. um, either way, Terra Mystica has been outpaced. Yeah, I think Age of Innovation will eventually surpass it. But again, it's interesting because Terra Mystica has such a huge following, the great artwork. Guy Project mechanically is better, but it's bland as far as the presentation is, is concerned. So I appreciate the industry, you know, and all the people out there who voted for this game recognizing how it is better. It, it's, it is seriously a, a step up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up, we have Through the Ages, A New Story of Civilization. It is currently sitting at number 13 overall. Mm -hmm. 
the original version of this through the ages, a story of civilization. So not a new one. Just a story. <laughs> just a story. Uh, just a story. Um, it's sitting at number 80. Mm-hmm. And so this was a re-release in 2015 by Vlada Shabatel and CGE. Uh, and it's a lot of small changes. It's a lot of balance tweaks and adjustments to the cards. Um, and overall, like the balance and layout of the game, but also a pretty extensive overhaul to how military attacks work, mm. which definitely has a huge impact on how you play this game. And part of that is like they were working on the digital implementation. And so the balance kind of came through in that. And we got a much better version of the board game as a result. So um, it is the definitive way to play this game. The original version is kind of just if you have it, it's still very good, but the new version is better. So why not play that? Exactly. And the original version was super high on the top 100 as well. So for this to raise even higher. And again, I think just like with War of the Ring, second edition, through the ages, a new story of civilization. And I guess also Twilight Imperium, fourth edition. These are very long games and very complicated games. So streamlining is definitely warranted. And and we're so glad about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I love this version. Uh, next up, we have another very long game, which thankfully we have again streamlined and made better. Yay! So, <laughs> so Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy versus Eclipse New Dawn for the Galaxy. Uh, so the new version came out in 2020 and really like 2021, 2022, when you can actually find it. Uh, the original version is 2011, so about 10 years in between them. And the new version's rated 19, the old one 76. And it's another case where the old one kind of fell down the charts after the new one came out. Um, this new updated version was on Kickstarter, had a bunch of big fancy stuff, and it came with new graphic design, uh, it had new ships, um, new miniatures for everything, the ancients, the orbitals, all that good stuff, new inlays. So a lot of like aesthetic upgrades, but they also like tweaked and upgraded the gameplay to like streamline it and make it more uh, accessible in terms of like the rules and how you actually engage with the game. But also like the various expansions of which there were several for the original version of the game kind of baked into the new version now. So this is the, again, definitive upgraded version of the original Eclipse. Uh, And I think the... The people I've talked to who like Eclipse and the ratings here on Board Game Geek kind of reflect that. It makes a lot of sense too, and absolutely necessary. And it plays so much better too. It's 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 a lot of fun. It's it's not the grind that the first edition was. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun the first edition, but this one's so much more streamlined. It's just really nice to see, especially when you have so many possible upgrades. It's just nice that it just makes sense. It's clear. Yeah, yeah, it it was such a good game always, but then it did take a very long time to play. It was hard to learn and just like layering all the extra stuff from expansions took time. And now it's just all baked in, which is great. All right, next up, we have the crew Deep Sea or Mission Deep Sea, I should say. Um, This was the re-implementation of the crew, the quest for Planet Nine, the original game that came out, nominated for the Kenner Spiel. This one uh, takes that original formula um, but adds several new things. So you have like more limitations to communication. Um, you have new ways of approaching the various like shared goals that you're working through. It's still the same basic idea of 
you know, communal collaborative communication within a trick taking game. Um, but the missions are now a little more complex and engaging and interesting. And the result is a much better game. So people just generally, I, I say the same thing. If you're like, oh, I've heard the crew is good. You're like, yeah, get Mission Deep Sea. It's a better game. And that's, it's not like, oh, it's like a standalone expansion. It is, but it's just a better game. So get this one instead. It's interesting how there's just, in board gaming, there's a very few, just a very few games out there where it's just like, this is the definitive version. Like, just don't even bother. Don't bother with the other one. Don't bother. Just, yes, it might cost you five bucks more, 10 bucks more, $100 more. Buy this other version. This is, in fact, the case. I, I've. It's so surprising in this modern age, so to speak, where it's like, nope, better. Just better. Just do it. Do it. You'll be fine. And this is one of those cases. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's like, it's weird because some games are like, oh, there's like three or four versions. Like Azul, there's a bunch of versions and they're all good. Pick the one you like best. This one's like, no, just get the new one. <laughs> like the old one's fine, but this one's better. Um, all right. Next up, we have PAX Premier Second Edition. Uh, this was on Kickstarter, came out in 2019, and it re-implemented PAX Premier the first edition, which was a small box uh, Sierra Madre game that Cole Worley did with Phil Eklund and, or at least Phil Eklund had some kind of input on Um, the new version is a larger box. It's more uh, just broad in terms of like what you can comes with it. Um, The artwork's fantastic. The additional historical elements are great. The game is more streamlined and accessible and easier to learn because of the solo mode. Um, that the original didn't have. It's just, it's better in almost every single way. And whether that's because Cole Worley had like, this is my game. I can do what I want with it. Or they had that Kickstarter money or whatever it was. It went from a, yeah, this is fine game in PAX Premier, which is kind of hard to learn and a bit dense to, this is one of the best games ever made in PAX Premier second edition. So, uh, and this one just recently is available on board game arena too. So you can now play it online, which is amazing. Yeah, one of, and I think as far as our list is concerned, this is the greatest gap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This goes from number 39 for the second edition to 1,925 for the first edition. It was just nothing. It was like a forgettable thing released by Sierra Madre. You know, I've heard people play it or recommend it, but it wasn't like high, highly out there. And Cole Worley wasn't like a big name that he is sure. now. So, uh, it's it's a big gap. Yeah, that's a major glow up for a game that is theme wise a little dense, a little yeah out there. I I would never think people would necessarily be interested or or like again the lavish production. And I guess Kickstarter helped with this too, right? This was a Kickstarter game, if I remember correctly. It, yeah. So the, the the version we got was very pretty with these big chunky pieces and like the the cloth mats yeah. and like the the metal coins that you could get. It was amazing versus like the tiny little square box you got from Sierra Madre where it was all dick dense and packed. Yeah. Um, that it, helped for sure. And even the production, while it's very nice, is a very simple handful of pieces. It's not, it's not a giant board game with like miniatures and wood pieces no, and no, meeples. No, yeah. It's like, you would think this was the scaled down version and it works. It's so well. Yeah. Such a brilliant game. All right, uh, a couple more here. We have Mansions of Madness, second edition. 
which sits at number 55 on the list. The original version currently sits at 496. The big thing that this did was it took all of the complicated, fiddly setup and layout nonsense of the first edition, which, if you set it up correctly, was brilliant. But if you did not, ruined everybody's afternoon. And they replaced it with an app. So if you are okay with app-based games, Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition was a huge step up from the first edition, which was hard to set up, hard to play and learn, and layering and expansions would be complicated and time-consuming, especially for the person like setting up and running the game. Uh, the second edition allowed everybody to play together cooperatively using the, the app to kind of guide everyone. Um, I've played it several times. It's a fantastic experience. And yeah, it's electronic. I understand, but it's still so much better than the first edition. <laughs> I would never play that first one. Yeah, again, just the setup breakdown, managing all the pieces, and there's a lot of pieces here. And again, this was another game that just, it wasn't just better. It wasn't just revised. It was, you know, heralded, like, again, like, as if Mansions of Madness never was out there. Like, this was just, like, such a new creation to the world that people were just like, have you heard of this game? Like, yeah, that was a first edition. Like, no, 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 this is the second edition. And even with the second edition, somehow it's it's like otherworldly. And I, again, I haven't played the first edition, but everyone seems to believe it is otherworldly as far as like its ability to get to the table and play well. And it's it's hung around. I mean, 55 in the top 100? Crazy. Yeah, that's nuts. All right, and then the last game that we pulled from the top 100 that is much higher ranked and better than its original, objectively speaking, of course, is Android Netrunner, which comes in at number 72. And its original version, which is just Netrunner, is 1,124. So the original version of this was a collectible card game that released in the 1990s, um, 1996, I believe. And it was made by Richard Garfield. So like post magic in that midst of everybody wants Richard Garfield to make a game. Um, <laughs> Wizard of the Coast was like, hey, let's make a cyberpunk game. And he did. And it was you had corporations versus runners. And it was this creative, asymmetrical, engaging collectible card game that lasted a few years. But like we, we talked about this actually a few weeks ago, like many games, it failed. Yes. Um, and then Fantasy Flight picked it up and brought it back in 2012, um, which with Richard Garfield on board and Lucas Litzinger um, within the company, kind of updating and optimizing it for the LCG format. And they're saying like, great, this is brilliant. It's asymmetrical. Uh, we've got the the corpse side, we have the the runner side, and we can create this building, growing, interesting world with these, you know, living card game releases. And it was one of the most popular games in the world for eight, nine years until they lost the license because Wizards of the Coast had licensed them the Netrunner IP. Um, and we all kind of thought once it died that they were going to bring it back. And Wizards of the Coast never brought it back. They just didn't want to give Fantasy Flight any more money, I guess. So <laughs> um, the game lives on. Uh, there are like fan-made releases. I've played this game more since it died than when it was alive just with other people who have like their fan made stuff or picked up old stuff uh, off the secondary market. 
um, it's a brilliant game. I really, really enjoy the way that Fantasy Flight kind of optimized and built this up and created a system where you can create your own runner deck or your own corp deck and like dealing with, you know, kind of breaking through the ice. And it's such a cool theme and it works really, really well. Um, and I admittedly have not played the original CCG, but knowing the amount of CCGs I played in the 90s, <laughs> there's no way it's as good as this. Yeah, I agree 100%. All, all right, right. Well, so okay. there we go that's all of them <laughs> uh, uh everything from the top 100 at least again there are a bunch more so if you write in you're like oh what about this one or what about this one like it's probably not a top 100 game um but maybe we'll get to it in the future absolutely and again maybe one day these games will be even supplanted by newer games because <laughs> probably yeah they will all get their cyberpunk space chip version of them in the future so until then, <laughs> this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And until we're supplanted by better Neo babies, <laughs> we'll <laughs> save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everybody. Bye.